and we feel empty perhaps this morning. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some tragic event from your past. Maybe it's the loss of a a dear family member or friend. Whatever that season may be. I hope that through the verses that we will come to consider this morning, that we will find comfort, a comfort in the gospel. But our lives have changed, haven't they? Over the course of this past year and a half, for some of us, drastically so, uh, and for others, though we might not like to think about it, the worst may be yet to come. We've seen some dark days, but ultimately darker days are coming. And not too long ago, I came across the story of uh, the Portuguese explorer Bartholomew Diaz, uh, who in uh, 1488 became the first European to safely navigate a dangerous point on the southern tip of Africa. For many years, nobody knew what lay beyond that cape. No ship attempting to pass that point had ever returned to tell the tale. But in spite of near death, this man managed to make it out alive. And to reflect the nature of the journey, the difficult voyage, he he named the cape the Cape of Storms. But a century later, that cape was renamed to the Cape of Good Hope, which it is known as today. That's what we know it as. And the reason it was called that was because of the trade route into India that this cape would provide. Beyond that wild and that stormy coast laid a calm sea. When I think of that story, I think that that is a a picture of life. Life can sometimes feel like a, a cape of storms. But with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storms. We can see life as a cape of good hope. And that is the sense of what I would like us to consider this morning as we turn to Lamentations chapter 3, a chapter that provides us with perspective. It doesn't sugarcoat suffering. It doesn't teach us to exercise the power of positive thinking. But rather, it faces up to reality. It doesn't pretend that problems don't exist or that painful experiences are not just that, painful. But it faces up to reality. In fact, the very title of the book is an open and an honest summary of what it contains. This is the book of Lamentations. To give you a definition, to lament is to cry aloud. It is to weep. It is to shed tears over sin and its consequences. And yet, on the other, it is to relentlessly trust in God. These are not mutually exclusive responses to suffering. They are actually at two sides of the same coin. You see it throughout the Old Testament. Lamenting is uh, the characteristic posture of believers as they, as they wait for the coming Messiah. And by way of context, the, the speaker in this chapter, who is most likely to be Jeremiah, is lamenting in the aftermath of the defeat of the holy city, Jerusalem, and the exile of Judah in uh, 587 BC. This is the, the lowest point in the history of the Old Covenant community. They're in Babylonian captivity and there seems to be no way out. 
And their sufferings are are described for us this morning in terms of a single individual. Instead of getting the wide angle lens. In chapter 3 we are zoomed in on a man whose speech represents the rest of the people. We see what's going on, don't we, in Afghanistan and in Haiti and in other places. Desperate circumstances, horrible events tragic circumstances. In fact, I saw a picture just this last week, and maybe you saw it too, of a baby being handed up from uh, Kabul airport to uh, the soldiers at the top. We don't know what was going on there, whether that baby was being given away to save its own life from the threat that was about to come upon his family. We we don't know, but what we do know is that a picture like that represents for us something of the tragedy that is occurring in Afghanistan. And so in the same way, this morning we have got uh, an insight into how the whole of the nation of Israel is suffering because of what we hear from this man, Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. And he now sits in the ashes of a ruined city. And as one preacher put it, he basically sings the blues. The book of Lamentations includes a series of five funeral poems. And yet in this third poem, Jeremiah combines tragedy with triumph. He blends hurt with hope. He brings us face to face with the hardships and the heartbreaks of life. And yet he he places it side by side with the great faithfulness of his God. Where do we usually find the punchline? If I were to tell you a joke, the punchline would be left right till the end, isn't it? it? It's the final note. But that is not the case through much of the Old Testament. In Hebrew poetry, it was actually the middle where we get the punchline. And so as we move into Lamentations chapter 3, which is the middle of the book, we also notice that it is in the middle of the chapter that we find the treasure. Although echoes of doom and gloom reverberate throughout the book, we also get this glimpse of hope along the way. It's not all the end. And that's the reality of suffering, isn't it? Some of you can testify to it. There are moments of of sweet relief that seem to break up the silence of suffering. But often, these moments are few and far between. And this book exemplifies just that. For those who suffer, there are highs and there are lows. There are times when God feels very near to us. There are also times when he feels very far off. And yet throughout this journey there is this contrast being made between the tears of the unbeliever and the tears of the one who truly trusts in the Lord. And so before we call to mind the exceedingly hopeful confession, we must step back and acknowledge the seemingly hopeless complaint. A hopeless complaint. It'd be very easy for us to kind of skip over to verses 22 and onwards, to jump right in and to sing, great is your faithfulness. But I want us to firstly hold off 
And I want us to look at the context, as I say, that sits behind this, this great statement. What is it that, that prompts such a declaration from this man, Jeremiah? Because before we see a man who has experienced God's faithfulness, we see a man who has endured suffering. He's come to a, a dead end spiritually. You see, there's nothing low key. There's nothing minor about Jeremiah's complaint here, is there? He, he doesn't play down. He doesn't minimize the kind of sufferings that he is enduring. But no, in verse 1, he begins with clarity and transparency. Do you notice that? I am the man who has seen affliction. This is not an observational But an experiential statement. I am the man. In other words, this is my personal story. This is my song. This is my identity. Jeremiah's life has gone from bad to worse. And the way he feels cannot be condensed to just one line. He could have finished. And I have seen affliction and quickly transitioned into, but God is faithful, but he doesn't do that, does he? He takes time to, to kind of spell it out for us. He, he fills in the details. He gives us this comprehensive summary of all of the ways that he has experienced suffering. And we have all the way down to verse 18, a sustained series of cries, this catalogue of miseries, both physically and spiritually, he has been shaken by the storms of life. A dark cloud of depression hangs over his head. He's in a period that the Puritans referred to as the darkness of the soul. Trace the theme all the way down the page with me. Follow with me from verses 1 to 18. Verse 1, I'm under the rod of his wrath. In Psalm 23, notice that the rod of the shepherd brings comfort to the sheep. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. But here, look at what his rod is doing. It's a a, a rod of wrath. It's an instrument of pain. Verse 2, I'm walking in darkness. Verse 3, I get the back of God's hand. Verse 4, my, my flesh is wasting, my bones are broken. Verse 5, I'm sieged and surrounded. Verse 7, I am hedged in and trapped. Again, my chains are heavy. Verse 8, my, my prayers are blanked. Verse 9, my ways are blocked and my paths are crooked. Verse 10, I am ambushed by a waiting bear and a crouching lion. Verse 11, I am torn to pieces. Verse 12, I'm a target to God's arrows. Verse 14, I'm mocked and taunted by my enemies. Verse 15, I am made to drink a cup of wormwood. This was like an acidic drink that would have left a a bitter aftertaste in the mouth. Verse 16, my teeth grind on gravel and I'm covered in ashes. It keeps going. Verse 17, I have no peace. I have no prosperity. And then after using a variety of expressions to get his point across, here is the bottom line in verse 18. I am devoid of strength and absent of hope. God chose to include this in the Bible. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? 
Does it make you kind of just want to airbrush this out and brush it under the carpet? He's being very real, isn't he? About the, the sufferings that he is experiencing. And they're not typos. They're not misprints. All scripture is God-breathed. And this, even Lamentations chapter 3 verses 1 through 18, is a divinely inspired passage. For some of you this morning, as I say, that might make you feel slightly uneasy. But I'm sure for others, those who've been through particularly hard times, you take great consolation from the things that we've read. Why? Because your present experience may look something like the sufferings that are listed here. You see, the prophet Jeremiah is not bottling up his issues But he's giving us a window into his heart. It's a very un-British thing to do, isn't it? There's no stiff upper lip. But he's being open. He's not afraid to show his tears. He's not afraid to explain in detail that he's hurting. I feel alone. I feel isolated. I I feel cut off. And one of the applications of the entire book of Lamentations is, is simply to say that at times it is right and it is appropriate to pour out your heart to God in prayer and say, Lord, I'm suffering. This is, this is hard for me. We've got to be transparent. We can come and we can vocalize. To the God who made us and sustains us, the reality of our pains. And I wonder, is that something that you struggle with this morning? Do you like to to keep up the appearances? How are you doing? Someone says to you, oh, I'm fine. Deep down, you're not fine. You're really going through it. But we've got to be transparent. We've got to be willing to share our burdens. We must not, as the body of Christ... As the church of Jesus Christ, suffer in silence. You've been called into a community. And you can share your troubles and your trials with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can, you can do that. But most of all, you can do that to God. You can, you can pray to Him. For He is a great high priest who is sympathetic to us in our weaknesses. But notice how Jeremiah singles out God. Not the Babylonians, but God as the reason for his affliction. It's not only my enemies, he says, but it is the heat of the anger of God. God doesn't feel like a friend to him. But have a look at the opening words of many of these verses. The finger is pointed at God. He has done this to me. Verse 8, even when I cry and when I shout, he shuts out my prayers. This is supposed to be the prayer answering God and the door to his throne room seems closed. This is my refuge. This is my help. This is my security. But verse 10, he's a bear and he's lying in wait for me. He's a lion. He's in ambush and he's torn me to pieces. These are graphic images, aren't they? Where's the mercy? Where's the grace? Where's the faithfulness? Where's the love? Well, you see, the whole point of the exile of Judah was as a result of their unrepentant sin and idolatry. This was self-inflicted discipline. Don't get me wrong. 
I'm not equating all suffering with disobedience and, and sin. Now think of Job, the most righteous man on the face of the earth at that time. And yet by God's permission, he is the victim of the most severe kinds of satanic attacks. Thereby proving that some of you who are suffering this morning are suffering through no fault of your own. But because you live in a fallen world. But that is not the case for the people of Judah. They're being chastened by God. And as Jeremiah, being part of that community, experiences the discipline of God, it's as if the light at the end of the tunnel has been switched off and everything is black. Throughout the Bible, God's hand is often used as a metaphor for his rescuing power, like when he delivered the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt by his hand. However, here God's hand is is repeatedly against his people. Instead of liberating him, Jeremiah feels imprisoned by God. You can sense the panic in his voice as he writes, can't you? And I wonder, does his honesty strike any chord in your heart and experience this morning? Has the virus, or at least the repercussions of it, made you feel that God is against you? Well, though Jeremiah feels battered and bruised, he is not alone. Most of the Psalms are punctuated with pain. Most of the New Testament epistles, did you know, are written in prisons. Most of the greatest preachers of all time had to pass through fire. Pick up your church history books, flick through the Bible and there's no shortage of examples for us, are there? You see, suffering is to be expected. Suffering is inevitable. Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, you will live a life of sacrifice and many, many times suffering. The gospel we profess is not one of earthly prosperity, but sometimes gut-wrenching suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. And yet, Lamentations doesn't teach that if you are undergoing pain, you should just kind of shrug your shoulders and live with it. God has never told any man or woman, boy or girl, who is really going through it, man up. That's not the God of heaven. That's not the God of the Bible. As a Christian, we we don't go around telling everyone to just have a bit more of an optimistic view of life. To look on the bright side. No, hurt is real and there is a place for lamenting in the Christian life. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in our English translations there to say to you that it is right sometimes to lament. As Christ saw the destructive effects of sin in the world, as his dear friend Lazarus was lying in a tomb, it prompted him to show his emotion. Christians are not ostriches, are they? They don't bury their heads in the sand when life gets hard. But look at Jesus Christ. Look at him in the garden of Gethsemane just before he died as he weighed up the cost of the cross and the agony of Calvary. 
Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Proper lamenting is Christ-like. And we see that in the first half of Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah, the man who has seen affliction, has poured out his heart to God in lament. All of his hope seems shattered. But verse 21 is where the passage hinges. As we move secondly from a hopeless complaint to a hopeful confession. We're not quite there for the hymn yet. There we go. A hopeful confession. All Jeremiah could see was a, a cape of storms. But then his perspective changes in verse 21. But this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The heartbeat of Lamentations is encapsulated in these few verses. They are the climactic point of the book. Now, having walked through some dark valleys, we've ascended to the top of the mountain. We've reached the summit. And, and what a view we have here as, as Jeremiah seems to display for us the beautiful landscape of God's goodness against the dark backdrop of our sufferings. John Calvin said that it is in the darkness of our miseries that the grace of God shines more brightly. And that is what we're seeing here, isn't it? Verse 21 refers to the thought process of the mind. Jeremiah has moved from introspection, self-analysis, to God. His lament has turned to hope. And our passage here Though it has seemed nothing short of hopeless, there is this but moment. There is this key change, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. When life leaves you feeling downcast and depressed and discouraged, call to mind the promises of Scripture. Meditate on the word of God. When I say meditate, I'm not thinking of a Near Eastern man with a long beard and long robes in a lotus position, meditating, emptying his mind. I mean it in the biblical sense. Meditating in a biblical sense means filling your mind. It means talking to yourself. It means bring scripture to bear upon your current circumstances. That's what this man is doing. He's meditating on what he knows to be true. And the three truths that follow, they tell us something about the character of God. We call to mind God's mercy, his compassion and his faithfulness. This is the diamond in the rough. You see, Jeremiah's circumstances haven't changed, have they? He has not yet been liberated from exile or delivered from the moment of trial. And yet cognitively, in his mind, he's already in the Cape of Good Hope. His whole perspective has just drastically changed, hasn't it? And shifted as he lifts up his eyes from his pitiful condition. And he sees the great faithfulness of God. This is the turning point for him. 
That quotation from Psalm 30 verse 5, it seems to fit the theme of the chapter. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. The story is told of a father who took his son to a town parade. But the boy was very sad. He, he couldn't see what was going on in the streets because of the large crowd. Everybody was so much taller than he was. And so his father looked down at his teary-eyed son and he scooped him up onto his shoulders. And now from his new seat, the boy's tears turned to laughter. And on a far greater scale, this will be the experience of every child of God. With God as our Father, our perspective all changes. Though we weep now, joy comes with the morning. This world is not the end. But for the believer, there is a joyful world. And we ought to set our minds on things that are above. Do you lack hope today? Do you lack hope? Have your afflictions caused you to forget the goodness of God? Well, look and grasp verse 22 to 23. Firstly, God's mercies preserve us. God's steadfast love preserves us. Jeremiah's hope is firmly rooted in who God is. And how God acts towards us. The the A clause of verse 22 here says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Do you see how it is not just God's mercy singular, but plural. There is this abundant, there is this fountain, this inexhaustible source of unfailing love. Some translations put it as mercy as I've said. Some, like we have here, put it as steadfast love. Others say loving kindness or unfailing love is one of the greatest and the most common words in the Old Testament. But it ultimately refers to God's covenant-keeping mercies. And as an Old Testament Jew, Jeremiah, he was all too familiar with with the divine covenant that was first made with his forefather, Abraham. The record had been consistently passed down the generations. And in the depths of his depression, the first truth that brings comfort to his troubled soul is to call to mind, to remind himself that in covenant love, God has pledged that he would be their God and they would be his people. And therefore he knows he's, he's going to be preserved. God is not going to abandon him in his pain. He's not going to run off like a fair weather friend, but he's going to stick by his side. And yet you know that the covenant that God made with Israel, he, he makes with you and he makes with me this morning. This is not just history that we're, we're, we're learning about, but this is, this is a present reality. We are here today. Alive and well, because God's steadfast love never once ceased. God is not a cold-blooded divine being. He sometimes allows us to taste the consequences of our sin and our rebellion. He sometimes brings us very low, but his steadfast love is constant. It's steadfast. It doesn't fail us in our darkest hour. And in our times of deepest need. It is not a circumstantial. But it is a dependable love. 
I promised to my wife on my wedding day that I would love her consistently. Please don't ask her after the service if I've done that. I failed. And you failed. Married couple, married partners. You, 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 you try, but you fall short. You've got great intentions, but you, you, you never quite deliver up to the promises. But God is not like that. His, his love is truly unconditional and steadfast and constant, no matter how we respond to him. As I prayed earlier, God has not treated us according to our sins, but according to the grace that is in Jesus Christ. There was once a man who was uh, shipwrecked at sea. The whole crew had been tragically lost, but he had been washed up on the rocks. And there he stayed all night long. Although his strength had almost vanished, although his hope had almost faded away, he somehow found the strength to cling to these rocks for dear life, for hours and hours and hours. And at sunrise, as the rescue unit was desperately searching for survivors, they found this one resilient and shivering man curled up on the rocks in the midst of the sea. And they quickly pulled him onto the lifeboat and they, they took him to shore. And they began to quiz him about his ordeal. How did you do it? What gave you the strength to cling in the moment of severe trial? And he responded like this. He said, as I shivered and I wept all night and wondered whether I would ever make it through, the rock never moved. That is the reason for your hope and mine this morning, spiritually. That is the believer's perspective in pain. Though... We're in the darkness of the night at times and we feel as though we're simply clinging to the rocks. We call this to mind that the morning light is coming. Rescue is on its way. We will not be consumed, but we will be pulled to to heavenly shores. We'll be preserved by God's steadfast love where our song will be the testimony of that lone survivor. The rock never moved you and I we're fair with the friends aren't we we let people down we're always on the move but but God is the same yesterday today and forever and yet things are even taken a step further as the writer approaches verse 22 because his compassions fail not they are new every morning his mercies never come to an end That's the second thing we're to see in this second point. God's compassions are unfailing. One of the defining marks of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he had compassion for sinners. The disabled, the despised, the disappointments of society found an abundant supply of mercy in the the person of Christ. He's a merciful saviour. And in verse 22 to 23, Jeremiah has, has grasped, he's grasped something about God that so many seem to forget in their sufferings. That God's mercies, plural, are both novel and they are constant. They are new and they are there every morning. 
when we got out of bed this morning, we were immediately presented with a new opportunity to experience fresh outpourings of the mercies of God. There's not one day of your earthly existence that you have not been the recipient of an abundant supply of mercy. Think back to how God provided manna for the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness and how he instructed them to not carry the bread over to the next day because he was going to provide fresh bread every single morning. And that's the experience of every Christian believer. We don't need to join the rest of the nation like uh, you saw them at the beginning of this pandemic. Panic buying in the supermarkets, trying to get some toilet roll and pasta and whatever else. We don't need to be like that as Christians. Because God always provides. He always has and he always will. There's, there's nothing stingy about God. He doesn't dish his mercies out on a teaspoon, but he he lavishes them upon us until we say like David in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. God is so good to us. His mercies are unending. And the same is, is true for whatever kind of life you've lived. We don't need to live off yesterday's mercies. But each and every day of our lives, we're we're topped up. Who in the world could make you an offer like this? The people change, as I've said. Promises can be broken, but not our God. His mercies and his compassions, they endure for all time. They don't fluctuate. They don't rise and fall. And yet finally, we come to the bottom of verse 23. Great is your faithfulness. That's the third thing I want us to see. The final thing. God's faithfulness is great. Notice how in that same verse, Jeremiah, he has shifted from speaking about God to speaking directly to God. And when he says faithfulness, he simply means if God said it, he will do it. I remember reading in the opening page of an elderly man's Bible when I was a boy. This phrase that has stuck with me all these years. Never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Maybe we've grasped something of God's faithfulness before. But now we've become sceptical in the darkness. On the good days we get it, but on the bad days we forget it. But can you sing in any and every circumstance the words of this weeping prophet, great is your faithfulness. Does Jesus thrill your heart? Can you sing along with that hymn writer, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He's more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see is Christ your all in all. Does his faithfulness thrill you? Does his grace amaze you? A couple of years ago, I was, I was in Paris. Spoke about Paris earlier. I was there. And I was not like Lawrence of Arabia's Arab friends who were mildly impressed. We were blown away. What's the first thing you do when you go to Paris these days? You go straight to the Eiffel Tower, don't you? That's what we did. And uh, as we stood with the tower looming over us, And thousands of sightseers surrounding us. 
It really wasn't hard to, to spot the tourists. They had their cameras out. Everybody was kind of fighting for the best spot to get their pictures so they could update their social media feeds, I imagine. Put a nice filter on it, put a good caption, get some likes. That's, that's what they were doing. And yet, I remember, and I don't think I'll ever forget, a brief conversation I had on the steps that were leading down to the tower. There was an old man. And he was selling miniature Eiffel Tower models. And he said to me, when you've been here for 25 years, the excitement soon wears off. For him, it was, it was only his employment that kept him there. Day in, day out, there he was. Same place, same posture. His back turned away from the very thing that everybody else was staring at. He'd seen it a million times. He'd grown accustomed to its beauty. And the wonder was gone. Friends, may that not be true of us with God this morning. May we never lose our wonder. Or grow accustomed to its beauty. And and over familiar with his compassions. and, And unmoved by his great faithfulness and mercy to us. That our mouths, they stop singing. And our hearts grow cold. Christian believer as you sit to listen this morning I challenge you to call this to mind in the midst of these days of difficulty these are not psychological tricks to help you through the darkness of grief these are not abstract theological doctrines to be approved of these are not just throw away Christian cliches that you can kind of put on a necklace or, or post on Facebook. These are true spiritual realities. These are anchors for the soul. As we sail through the cape of storms, we can cling to these things, can't we? The solution for Jeremiah is the solution for each of us. His perspective is the perspective that we must take. As we encounter pain. I am the man who has seen affliction. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Amen. There's only one hymn that we could sing. In response to such a passage. Great is thy faithfulness O God my father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Let's stand up and worship the Lord together.
confessing that we are not the people that we ought to be or hope to be or want to be. Lord God, we are sinners through and through. But Lord, we thank you for the great love that inspired you to send your only beloved son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world, to be born in a stable, to live the life that we could never have lived and to die the death that we deserve, but then to rise again to give us hope this morning. Oh, Father, we do pray that we would see the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that he is truly the only hope for humanity. Lord, enable us to call to mind and to have hope in this reality, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.